0: Let's go. Woo! Woo! Right. Yeah. Right. Let's go. We've been in a collection, I guess I'll say, been in, but this is the second week uh, of a collection we kicked off last Sunday called Day and Night. An idea behind Day and Night uh, is that we would take a look at various uh, different psalms and uh, we just would track through them, go through them, and that we would pray them day and night. And so we kicked it off last Sunday with Psalm 23rd, and uh, you received uh, this resource when you came in last week. Hopefully you received one today. If you did not, uh, please grab one before you leave today. And the idea is each day and at each night that you would pray whatever specific psalm that we're in. And I believe that as you do that, I mean, you will experience God by the end of this collection in such a powerful way. And, and I feel like, man, how fitting it was to have this happening at the same time uh, that we're kicking off uh, Pray 21, which I'm really excited about. We're day 8 and really excited about this upcoming uh, weekend where we're kicking off third Saturday prayer. That's going to happen each third Saturday uh, right here at Horizon uh, Elementary. But today we're going to continue with day and night, and I'm coming from Psalm 27. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4, and uh, perhaps you've got that resource on your way in. You can just use that, or if you've got your copy of God's Word uh, physically or maybe digitally on your phone. If not, whatever way, it's going to be up here uh, on the screen. Uh, But what has become custom here at The Becoming Church, would you stand with me uh, for the reading of God's Word? Psalm 27. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. Matthew, if I could sing, I'll just tell you, hey, give me E-flat real quick. One day y'all be ready for it. Psalm twenty seven. says this the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. And here it is, verse four. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Come on, let's pray. Father, we're grateful and we're thankful. God, thank you for this moment and time that we get to share together. God, to worship together, to pray together, to serve together. And Lord, to gather around your word together. Lord, settle us in this moment. Some of us, God, our minds are racing. And we just need to slow down, slow us down. God, so that we can be aware of what you're doing. God, you're intentional, which means you're you're intentional with this moment right now. So, God, give us eyes to see what you're showing us, give us ears to hear. You're speaking to us, Holy Spirit. You're welcome. I need. I need you, so that the words that I say are filtered through you. So, God, as your servants here, we say this. Speak, Lord, because we're listening. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, "Come on, come on." Everybody said, "Amen, amen." You may be seated. Family, college was a bit of a journey for me. It was a bit of a journey for me. It, uh, it, it, it took me some time to finish it. Uh, now, it wasn't, you know, the four years that it's supposed to take, or as my wife uh, often uh, lets me know, the three years that it only took her. So. <laughs> but it took me too long. And don't worry about how long that was. Don't worry about the number. Just know too long. That's all you need to know. But it took me a while. And one of the reasons why it took me a long time to to finish school was because of the the one thing that I was dismissing, the one thing that was a necessity, the one thing that was required in order to graduate, and that was to go to class. You kind of have to go to class to graduate, at least for me. I know some of you guys are so smart that you can just see something once, hear something once, once, and you pick it up and you're good. Nah, not, nah, not, not, not this brother. That's not how I was set up. I, I, I've gotta to go to class. I gotta read it. I have to reread it. I need somebody to read it back to me. In fact, one time I remember, before I, one of the many times I changed my major, um, I was in this intro to programming class. So all you C++ people, just you know, see you anyway. Um, I was in the in that intro class and I had to get a tutor, just the introduction. And you know, a lot of people in that field, they've been doing it forever, they're just taking a class because it's just part of the thing they gotta take to graduate. So they're not actually getting introduced to anything. And so the professor was like, oh man, I gotta turn this up, because you guys, you guys are like way too advanced for this, this, this level. And she's like, turn it up. I was like, no, 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 no. Let's let's ease into this. What you mean, turn up? I had to get a tutor to get this. And it was soon she would call me and say, hey, Michael, let's let's talk. <laughs> and uh, she was able to give me uh, um, uh, uh, incomplete without whatever it would it wouldn't show up on my transcript. And that was the day that I went and changed my major again. But I wouldn't go to class. And and it didn't take much for me not to go to class. Let me wake up, and those birds not chirping the way they should be chirping. <laughs> I'm supposed to hear chirp, chirp. If I don't hear chirp, chirp, and it's just one chirp, then I'm not going to class. That's just how I felt. Let me wake up, and I just didn't really feel it in the air. I didn't feel like the air was right. The atmospheric pressure wasn't really there in the, the, the dew point. Then that was the reason while I wasn't going to class. And in case you're wondering, like, okay, so did you finish? Yes, I finished. Like, I feel like y'all trying to play me right now, just in case. You're gonna have to put some respect on my name here in just a moment. So not only did I finish, but I went on to grad school and finished with a 3.9 GPA, come on. I'm going to brag a little bit. I don't normally do that. But I, I, I felt like, man, this guy? Like, wow, okay. You invited me here? Okay. <laughs> I felt that happening. But I finished because, well, that one thing that I wasn't paying attention to, I started paying attention to it. I started focusing on it. I didn't dismiss it. And by doing that, it allowed me to gain a perspective for the moment, for that moment of life, that space of life that I was in. And I wonder today that as we look at Psalm 27, I wonder if we can look at our lives and ask ourselves this question, what's the one thing that we're not doing, the one thing that's missing, that if we changed it, that if we did it, if we paid attention to it, that it could change everything in our life? What is that one thing that if we gave it focus, what what is that one thing that if we implemented it into our lives, if it became a part of our lives, that it could change everything? I think it leads us to asking us, ourselves this question, what has my attention, what has my focus? And listen, while Psalm 27 is so rich and it's so full of revelation, I want us to ultimately, I want us to get to focusing on verse 4 to see how we can discover the one thing that we're missing that could perhaps change everything in our lives. And so what I often love to do is to give a little context before we jump into it. So to give some context, David wrote this psalm before he actually took position as king of Israel. So when he wrote this psalm, he he wasn't king. He had been anointed king, but he wasn't king just yet. So you may be familiar with the story. He was chosen out of his brothers to be anointed king, but he went back to doing what he was doing when he was found, he was found shepherding the sheep. And that's what he went back to. And, and now here in this moment, he has been anointed king, but he's not serving as king just yet. In fact, at the point that he's pinning this psalm, he is actually on the run from Saul, who is the current king of Israel. So David has been anointed king. Saul is currently king. And Saul, at this point, because of what happened you guys may be familiar with the story of David and Goliath. Goliath was this giant that was making these taunts towards uh, the, the Israelites. And he would come out daily and make these taunts. And, and, and David, uh, it wasn't sitting, sitting well with him. And so David actually, we know the story. He goes on to defeat Goliath. And then the ladies, they make this song that says David uh, Saul kills his thousands, but David killed his ten thousands. And Saul's like, hold up. So y'all going to give an old boy a credit for 10 and only give me 1,000? Hold on. And so from that moment, he kept a jealous eye on David. And that was kind of the moment where everything in his life just really began to spiral out of control. And so now here's someone who is a national hero or should be celebrated. Saul finds himself trying to kill David. And so that's the moment or the circumstances surrounding David when he's writing this song. He's being hunted down. But here's the thing. In the middle of him being hunted down by Saul, in the middle of his trouble, David doesn't cave into fear because of his confidence in God. Look at what he says at the very beginning of this this psalm. He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. And I love that he said, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Now, he knew he had been anointed king. He didn't say my future kingship. And everything else that that comes with is my light and my salvation. But he says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. So some of us, what well, we can contextualize that for us is, listen, my, my career or my money, my, my family, whatever, is not my light and my salvation. But the Lord is. So he says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid when the wicked advance against me to devour me? It is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. And he says in verse 3, Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. So you look at these three verses here and you're like, man, there's so much packed within that. There's so much that David is saying. But you have the king of Israel who is literally hunting you down to kill you, how can you fix your mouth to say, the Lord is my light and salvation, whom shall I fear? Though an army besieged me, bro, an army is besieging you, your heart should fear. So then we must ask the question, how could David be so confident despite all of the trouble that was around him? Well, it was because he had a track record with God. It was because he could look at his life and look back on his life, and he could see the faithfulness of God all throughout the story of his life. Look at 1 Samuel 17, verse 34. And this moment right here is actually where uh, Goliath is making these taunts, and David shows up on the scene, and no one's doing anything about it. And he doesn't understand it because he's like, yo, he's talking about our nation, and then he's defying the name of our God and nobody going to do anything about this. And so he, it, it, it agitates him. And he goes to so Saul and was like, yo, let me handle your boy. Let me at him. That's the, I feel like that's the attitude that he had. And Saul's like, no, no, no chill. Because see, this giant has been doing this since, a, since he was a young boy. He's been a man of war. You're not ready to take this on. And so David had to pretty much... Come with all the facts and all the details of his track record with the Lord. And this is what he tells Saul right here. He says, listen, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. And when a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it and rescued the sheep from his mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. David was a bad dude. Drop down to verse 37. And here's where he's pointing back to that track record. He says this, the Lord... Who rescued me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. What is David saying? I've got a track record with God. I know what may be in front of me, I know what I may be going through, I know the trouble that I'm facing. But I'm looking at my track record with God and I'm seeing how he delivered me from this, how he delivered me from that, how I had to go through this, how this caught me off guard. But yet at each instance, I stand here standing because of the faithfulness of God. So no matter what I'm facing or going through, although trouble is around me, although I'm being hunted down, I've got confidence that God will deliver me because I've seen him do it before. And maybe you find yourself there today. Can I tell you, family, this is what we need. We need a track record with God. Let me say it this way. We need to be reminded of our track record with God. Because whether we realize it or not, we have one. You say, hold on, I don't don't have all that. My story is still being written. Yes, it is. But guess what? The fact that you are here today. The fact that you are still standing, the fact that you are still alive. You may have crawled in here. You may have limped in here. You may not even know how in the world you got in here, but you're here, you're standing, you're breathing, you're alive. And can I tell you this? If you have a pulse, you have a purpose. So the Lord's not done with you yet. He's not finished with you. Your story is being written. You have a track record with the Lord. So whatever giant is in front of you, turn around and look behind you and see how far you have come. You're not that person that you used to be. You're not, you're, you're, you're not how you grew up. God's ha- hand has been on your life. There's been a transformation process that has taken place. Look at the track record that you have with the Lord and know this, that I can face what's in front of me because I can look back and I can see his hand. On my life, because some of you, some of us, you're not even supposed to be in this room. You're not supposed to be alive. And when I say alive, I mean alive, but the Lord's hand was on you. His grace was on your life, and He delivered you from that situation. Some of you grew up in situations, did things that you can't tell the stories about today. And you thought you were just that good getting out the scene. No, that was the Lord's hand on your life. That was the Lord's protection on you. That was the Lord looking for you when you weren't even looking for him. So we have a track record with the Lord. And the track record is not to glorify the things, but it's to glorify him who brought me through the things and be reminded of what he can still do. But some of us, we may dismiss our track record with God because we don't want a track record with the Lord. Here's what I mean. Oftentimes... Our prayers are like, Lord, keep me from this. Keep me from that. I don't want to go through that. And I don't want to go through this. Anybody ever pray like that? You don't have to raise your hand, but I will. Because I have. And while there is the testimony of what the Lord has kept me from, but the reality is there are things that we're going to go through. There are things that we're going to face. So our prayers have to go from, Lord, keep me from this, to, Lord, keep me. Through this that I know I'm gonna to have to go through this, but Lord, I need you to keep my mind, Lord. I need you to keep my marriage, Lord. I need you to keep my family, Lord. I need you to keep my sanity. It's not about Lord, keep me from this, but keep me through this. Why? It's developing a track record because there's gonna come, you know what it does? It, it 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 builds and develops your faith. So when there's something in front of you. And then you have faith for it, and people around you are like, yo, you're crazy. And there's a part of it that you are, right? <laughs> and what I mean is, it's because absent of the track record, you shouldn't believe this. But because of your track record and what you've seen God do, like, no, I got faith for that. Because I've seen God move over here when I didn't know how he was going to do it. I've seen God move over there when I didn't even think it was possible. So, yeah, I'm believing for this thing. I got faith enough for it. So it's being willing to say, Lord, keep me through this. That's why it's called a breakthrough, not an escape through. You have to, it has to be something that's broken in order for it to be a breakthrough. And you say, okay, that sounds good. But from a scripture standpoint, what are you talking about? <laughs> John 16, the words of Jesus. He says, I have told you these things. This is how He's like, do y'all not understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. And then here it is. In this world you what? Come on, say it louder. You will have trouble. So he didn't say you might. He didn't say perhaps. He didn't say maybe. But he says you will have trouble. Now, maybe you, you brought somebody today and you're like, Yo, he's, he's normally way more encouraging than this. I'm not sure what got in him. Just hold on a little bit. Okay. Second service, I feel like y'all do this to me. Because I do stuff in the second service I don't do in the first. And it, like, creates. I'm not trying to go on a tangent here. But here's why. Like, I, I, I like having the conversations that we have. Because, one, it's is, is my, is my responsibility but if you guys watch the news, you see what's happening in our world, and re- regardless of where you are in your faith journey, you've got to admit, like, yo, something's up. Something's going on. And so I want us to have these conversations and be able to dig into the truth in this way so that, like, we're just not, if you're a Christian in here, you're just not a weak Christian. That, that's, that's not what we need, Right? But, Lord, how can we be strong in our faith? Because I feel like there's a difference in having a heart that serves the Lord when everything seems like it's going well in your life. But what if the screws are tightening? What if the pressure's mounting? What if there's so much opposition and so much against us and so many things that just don't seem to go our way? So then do we exit from the faith? So, so for that stuff, like that, I don't want to be a part of. But I'm like, Lord, help us to be grounded in the truth of who you are. And so oftentimes, like I've been in environments or grown up in environments where like no one tells you like, hey, stuff is just going to be hard sometimes. But that don't mean you have to quit or it doesn't mean that God isn't good. So help me be better at following Jesus by telling me stuff will be hard and we won't have the answers of why something happened to somebody and it didn't happen. Because we'll say, man, they serve you, they loved you, they did all this, they did all that for the kingdom, but then this happened to them. And this person over here, listen, they about as evil as it come, but yet it seems like they're prospering. But then that's a mentality that's not, but then we're living with a, a, a only right now mentality and not for, 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 for eternity. So we're saying, okay, God, help us navigate this life and, and we can live a blessed life to find that. It's not material, but it's living in living right place with the Lord. And, and we can do all the things. You go on vacation, you can experience all that. But yet I know my soul is, is healthy, and of all those things taken away, my faith isn't gone. And you say, well, where is this coming from? It's coming from not being on staff at a church in the middle of the pandemic and seeing so many people that I knew and served with who no longer are connected to the faith today. And so then I asked the question, why? Was it because? They never had the conversations or, like, what was the reason why this happened? And when the Lord was like, hey, plant to become a church. And I said, well, Lord, I don't, I don't want to be a part of, like, if we're going to be shallow. God, help us, help us to be deep and to be rooted truly in who you are so that no matter what we face or go through, we can still stand and say you're good. So John 16, 33. In this world, you will have trouble. But here's the encouragement. Take heart. I have overcome the world for you. So it's nothing to be sad about. But it's a reminder I've got victory. And it's actually freeing because then it keeps us from looking in other things for victory that are empty. Victory is only found in Christ. So then it's a reminder that my marriage can't do it. My children can't do it. My finances can't do it. My health can't do it. My career can't do it. Only Jesus can give me this victory that I want to experience. Are y'all tracking with me this morning? So I feel like all of that is consumed within what David is getting at in these first three verses. And so his confidence came because he had a track record with God. Are y'all tracking with me on that? Of, Of just, you know, we say it all the time, like, we're not trying to build a big church, but we're trying to build big people. And, and so that's the direction and that's the vision that we're flowing with. It's like, God, help us to build big people rooted in the faith and truly standing on the word of God. So if you're taking notes, here's that first observation. is this, choose his presence. Choose his presence. So remember, it's the one thing that's missing. And Psalm 27 verse 4 is revealing that for us. And so David says this, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And that word dwell right there, it means this in Hebrew, yeshab, meaning to remain, to sit down, to abide. So in other words, David is saying, listen, that I may remain in the house of the Lord that I may dwell, that I may sit down and just be in the presence of God, not having an agenda, not having a to-do list, but simply sitting down, uh, abiding, and remaining in his presence, which leads me to ask us this question this morning. How many of us, we miss God's presence because we're so quick to move? That we miss what God is doing in the moment because we're so quick to move? And I think it's a wonder why we're anxious. I think it's a wonder why we deal with anxiety and and, and worry and fear. It's because we are missing all of what is available in the presence of God because of the to-do lists and all the things that are in front of us. But the Lord is saying, if you would just sit down and dwell, that the, the beginning of the one thing that we're missing is God's presence is dwelling, is remaining in his presence. And it reminds me of a story in Luke chapter 10, uh, starting at verse 38, where Jesus and the disciples, they pull up on Martha and Mary, and they step into their house, and, and Martha, right away, she goes and starts preparing a meal. And it's, re- it's a great thing that she's doing. She's practicing uh, the way of hospitality. She's being uh, generous. She's been a great hostess. While Mary, as soon as Jesus takes a seat, Mary sits down at the feet of Jesus. And she's listening to his teachings, listening to uh, everything that he is saying to the point, you know, I feel like Martha comes from out of the kitchen, and she's like, excuse me, Jesus, um, what's your girl doing? Some of y'all didn't know what that was. (laughs) What's your girl doing? Tell her to get in here and help me cook this meal. You already pulled up on me with your little d twelve. And expect something to eat. But then she over here sitting at your feet. This is how I read it. Yeah. <laughs> it comes alive like this. <laughs> and in verse 41, look at what it says. Look at what Jesus says. He says, "It says, my dear Martha. And I feel like that's the southern way of saying, you know, bless your heart. <laughs> you are worried and upset over all these details. He's like, listen. You worried about like this is great what you're doing. This is great that you're practicing hospitality. That's great. Right? Jesus practiced hospitality, showed up at Zacchaeus home and shared a meal. Right? This, this is good. But you were worried about all the details. How many of us were living the same way? That we're worried about all the details of life how we got to get the kids to practice, how we got to get them to the next event. We got, we're worried about the report. Uh, we're worried about what's coming up next. We're worried about all the different things that we're doing. We're constantly living on the run, on the run. It's like a rat race. And, 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 and because of that, we're missing the presence of God. Yeah. Can I say this, family? Don't allow the details of life to cause you to miss the presence of God. Yeah. Yeah. Don't allow what, all the things that you have to do to miss the thing that you need. Because you know why? I believe this. Oftentimes, take work, for instance. And you're like, oh, man, I'm really trying to figure this out. We got this issue at work, and I really can't. And you're spinning your wheels trying to figure it out. I believe there's a supernatural download that's waiting for you just simply in God's presence of uh, simply just abiding for him, that right there in that moment, the solution to the problem that you're facing at work, you could figure out. But then we have to work 20 times more just to figure that out, out that one thing if we would simply just choose to abide in his presence. Trying to raise your kids. Well, what do I do? How do I figure this out? And we're reading every book and we're listening to every podcast and nothing's wrong with those things. You should because I do as well. Lord, with that third one. But... She's cute, but man. But just sitting down in, the, in his presence and said, Lord, help me to steward the gift of these children that came from you and help me to raise them right. Help me when to say no. Help me when to say yes. Help me when to push the issue. Help me when to pull back. It's in his presence. So we can't allow the details of life to keep us from his presence. And then look what he goes on to say in verse 42. That there's only one thing worth being concerned about, and Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. Mary discovered the one thing. She understood that in the presence of God, there's the peace, that in the presence of God, here comes protection. In the presence of God, that here comes direction. In the presence of God, it's the presence of God that places us on a path of purpose. And so then maybe your question is, Well, then how do we discover what Mary discovered? I mentioned this verse last week, but it's Psalm 37, verse 4. which says this, delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Now, that doesn't mean delight yourself in the Lord so that you can name it and claim it and blab it and grab it, right? That's not what it means. But it means this, that as I spend time, as I'm seeking the Lord, that there's an exchange that's happening. So whatever my desires used to be, they're no longer my desires. and I'm exchanging those for his desires. So now when I pray, I'm not praying Michael's desires anymore, but I'm praying the desires of the Lord for my life. Are you tracking with me? And so because of that, then, yeah, you're in the will of the Lord. So now what you pray, you see. But it first comes when this exchange takes place, this this which which. Sets us on a path for transformation, which is our second observation this morning of the one thing that we're missing. So it's his presence and then it's transformation. So the second part of that verse, says this. To gaze on the beauty of the Lord. To gaze on the beauty of the Lord. Now, Katie and I, we watch a lot of HGTV, a lot of Magnolia Network. And I don't know if it's because, you know, one day we, we think we're going to renovate a house. Um, yeah you laugh I, I I do too, because like solomon we can't even we can't even put a picture on the wall without yeah, you you said it was straight as crooked, I knew I should have just did it myself, but yet we're gonna renovate a house come on, but no i think <laughs> like it, it's a thing, pray for us um but I think it's it's really why we like it because they take these homes that are just dilapidated and really look like they should be torn down to renovating it, seeing it go through this transformation process to ultimately becoming the best home on the block and family. I believe that's the type of transformation that God wants to open us up to. And I think that's revealed in what David says when when he says that he wants to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. And as another translation puts it, to behold the beauty of the Lord. And that word behold, it means to have a vision of. You know, I love hearing stories of, of visionaries, whether uh, it's, it's Jeff Bezos or, or Steve Jobs or, or Walt Disney. Because uh, what visionaries do, they see things before other people see it. Oftentimes they see things that other people never see. Now, that's where Walt Disney was, but he had a problem. Nobody else saw what he saw. And unfortunately, it was the banks, and he needed the banks to secure the financing to get this Disneyland started that would be the happiest place in the world, in the world as he called it. And he went over 300 banks before he finally secured financing. And so now, because of that, we see and know Disney to be what it is today, but it all started with a vision. So here's a question. What's, what's your vision? What's your vision for your life? You know, we, all, we often say this here is that we don't want you to catch a vibe, but we want you to catch a vision. Everybody lives for a vibe these days. What's the vibe like in there? I'm like, I don't even know. Because then when you say vibes, I don't know what you're talking about. You know how it is you can't let everybody pray for you like, I'm good. I'm good. Good vibes. Define good. Define vibes. So we don't want you to live for a vibe, but we want you to live for vision. Here's what I'm saying. What you behold, you will become, right? What you behold, it's a matter of focus. So what's what has your focus? What has your attention? What David is saying, that he wanted to behold. He wanted to have a vision of the Lord. In other words, it was him seeing his life and who he was, having a vision of who the Lord is, and then embracing a transformation process until he looked like that. He says, I wanted to behold the beauty of the Lord. So it wasn't about what he could get from the Lord, but it was about wanting to be with the Lord. When I was studying this week for today, and that, that statement of what you behold, you become, it's one that I've said before and, 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 and many times. I don't know if I said it here, but I've said it before. And I started to think about that, especially within the context of many things that we hear today. And it made me think of this, this whole thing of manifesting. Have y'all heard of that? I manifested it. Because when you hear me say what you behold, you become, you can almost tie that into uh, this idea of manifesting. Speak it into existence that you, with your words, you can create your world. And what manifesting is, it's basically comes from the New Age movement, and it's hinging on the idea of the law of attraction, which is a belief that positive or negative thoughts bring positive or negative experiences into your life. It says this that thoughts are energy, and that energy can attract. Similar energies to itself because there's an attractive magnetic pattern to the universe. Manifesting is inspired by various philosophical traditions. In fact, one of them, they, uh, uh, one of those being Christianity. And so that's how it can be very confusing when you hear certain things. like They'll, they'll mention Philippians 4.8. Think of those things that are pure, that are worthy, that are just, that are, that are noble. Talk about Hebrews, I believe, 11.3, where it reminds us that the, the Lord spoke the world into existence. And so it says, well, you're little God, so then you can speak things into existence as well. But listen, family, it's not how that works. Everything about this idea of manifesting is this idea about what you can do. What can be brought into your life for you? How does this benefit you? You spoke the business. You spoke the car. You spoke the trip. You spoke the f- everything that points to you. But this idea of transformation, it points to the Lord and us choosing to submit ourselves to a process that he takes us through. That he brings the change in our lives, that he brings the direction, that he brings moments into our lives, not for ourselves, but for others. Because everything that the Lord calls us to will not just be to benefit you, it would be for the benefit of others. When he called Moses to be a part of delivering the people, his people, from the Egyptians. It was not so much about Moses as it was about his people. He said, I heard the cry of my people because of the oppression that they're under by the Egyptians. And so I'm raising you up. So this whole thing is not about, well, I manifested it. I spoke it into existence. Not at all. But this is about how am I submitting my life to a life of transformation that the Lord wants to bring me. Through. And so what you behold, you will become is not a statement about you can speak it into existence, but it's a statement about submission, meaning that what I submit my life to, I will bear that fruit. Now you said so thoughts are important, words are yes, they are, but it's not about what I can get and bring into my life. The earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof. He is God. He, he is one of one. We're not no little guys. We're not no pretend-to-be gods. We're not no almost gods. We're none of that. That he is the creator and we are the creation. Are y'all tracking with me this morning? Here's what transformation ultimately should produce. Where we know God and then we live to make him known. And let me say this about transformation too. Because a lot of us in here, we're on that, we're in that path or we're walking in that right now and the hard thing about living it and embracing it is the tension of people he we knew before the transformation process started. And so then they'll say things like, "Oh, you different now. Oh, you changed now." And it'll be playful. Oh, like, "You know they can't, you know they ain't going out tonight cuz you know they got to get up in the morning for that church stuff. That's church boy over there. Hey, preacher man, you got a verse for me?" That's it. That's it. And so it may be under the disguise of just like playful banter or whatever, but no, it's really the attack of the enemy trying to discourage the process that you're on. And so then you step back and you're like, man, but this family though, they've been with me since I was yay so how can I dismiss them? And so now it creates this tug of war and this pull that you feel. So on one end, you're wanting to become who God is calling you to become. But yet on the other end, you feel the tension of trying to remain close and connected to what you were part of. And so now we're at this place of a decision point. But can I tell you this? You have to trust the Lord and welcome this process of transformation that he's bringing you on. He knows what concerns you. He knows what's your heart. He knows that you're not trying to be dismissive. He knows that you're not trying to be brand new, but you are choosing him, which means he's going to take care of everything that concerns you. But we have to allow him to do it in the way that he chooses to do it. I tell people this all the time because you you experience this at various points of life. It's just natural transitions that happen. It happens when you go uh, from from High school to college. So oftentimes in youth ministry, I tell, we tell students, like, yo, everybody's not going to be your boy no more or your girl no more because there's a transition that's happening. But guess what? You can still love them. You can still pray for them. You can still believe in them. Then there's a transition that happens in college and then to graduation, to the workforce. There's a transition that happens when, when the friend, somebody in the friend group have kids or gets married and have kids and then the others don't. You have to embrace that is different now, but it being different doesn't mean that you have to dismiss them and you can't be cool anymore, but you gotta understand that I'm different from, but I'm not better than, but what I used to participate in, I can't do anymore. And be okay with the comments you've changed. Yes, I have changed, because if you're still connected to who I used to be five years ago, that tells me you're in the same place. And God calls us to a life of progression not stagnation not staying in the same place but he calls us to a life of trusting him and becoming so don't be afraid to become because really when people are discouraging you it's insecurities that they're dealing with themselves and so they'll be okay with the old version of you the version of you that they were better than right because they like where you were because they were better than you in that place. Because you had all the problems. You had all the issues. But now you've trusted God and level up. they got to discourage because they don't like what they see. They're used to being the good friend with the good job and the good credit. But now that that's not the thing anymore, i got to discourage them now. So you have to keep going. And you have to keep trusting God and don't be afraid because there is nothing that God wants to take us to that's going to be harmful of us. He's a good God. He's not leading us to destruction, but he's leading us on a path of transformation and better. Are y'all tracking with me this morning? And basically, all that was basically our third point, which is surrender, true surrender. Matthew, come help me land this plane. Look what he says. David says, and to seek him in his temple. It reminds me like of our kids when they were younger. They get to the end of themselves and and they've thrown the tantrum and they did all those things. And they're finally like, I give up. And they put their hands up. You want me to hold you? Yes. <laughs> and they calm down. It is the funniest thing. We still we don't. You know, the boys, is not like that anymore. If it is, like, boy, you wait, stop. <laughs> You're too big to be acting like that. But with Zoe, she still does it, and she'll just be going. And then you pick her up, and it, it, it's that, you know, when they come down, <laughs> like that one right there. Like, it, it was like, oh, man, you was there. And it's like, just like that. Like, she good. But it was that, hey, I can't do this. But that's the place that we need to live from. Always. Not because we've tried it on our own like the kids do. But David's like, no, I need to seek him in his temple. I need to surrender. That's what worship is. It's surrender. It's saying, Father, I, here, here I am. Like, this, this is it. That's why worship is so much more than a set list. It's so much more than a song. It's so much more than any of that. It's, a, it's surrender. That's what it is. And a great picture of surrender is what we see in the life of Abraham. And so many of you may know the story, but to recap very quickly, Abraham is blessed, and he has all these things, and he tells the Lord, he's like, listen, what good is it I have? We don't have a child to leave it to. I just can only leave it to our servant. And so ultimately, the Lord's like, listen, you're going to be the father of many nations. And Abraham's like, oh, Yo, you, you got jokes because I'm old. I'm not, we're not about to have a kid in this old age. And ultimately, they tried their own way, and and had an issue with that, and and then ultimately they were pregnant and birthed Isaac. And so in Genesis 22, the Lord tests Isaac, excuse me, Abraham, and says, I want you to offer your son Isaac as a sacrifice. But can you imagine the emotions that he's feeling in that moment? Because this is like the promised son. This is the one that they were laughing about and didn't think could happen. This is the one that they thought, well, let's do it our own way that God delivered on. He says, you want me to offer him as a sacrifice? That doesn't make sense. But nevertheless, I want it because I'm not going to stay here too long, but I want it because it's because Abraham had a track record that he could be confident that God was up to something. But he decided to trust him. And they're making their way up Mount Moriah. He's got a couple other folks with him. And eventually they get to a point where Abraham, I think it's verse 5, he tells them, hey, stay here because the boy and I are going up to worship. I was like, man. So the Lord says, hey, I want you to present him as a sacrifice, as an offering. But he says, we're going to go worship? Why would he use the word worship there? It's because worship is this picture of surrender. It's a picture of saying, God, I even know what I want, but I want what you want more than I want what I want. I want to live in your will. So, ultimately, it gets to that moment where he's ready to sacrifice Isaac. And the angel of the Lord appears and says, listen, the angel of the Lord says, don't lay a hand on the boy. Now, if you're familiar with the story, you know the end of the story. There's a ram that's provided in the bush. But as Abraham is living this, he doesn't know that. (laughs) So he thinks what he's about to do is that he's about to sacrifice his son. But what you see there, too, is a picture of the gospel in Genesis. Because you see where Jesus provided a lamb that would take our place so that we wouldn't have to die. That he made a way. And provided a sacrifice through the life of Jesus so that he would take on our sins, he would take on our issues, he would take on our flaws, and he would die so that we wouldn't have to, but instead that we could live through him and his sacrifice. So we get a picture of the gospel right there, all because of what? Surrender. Even though I think to the moment in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is praying and he's feeling the pressure and the weight of everything. He says, Lord, if we can do this another way, let's do it. But then he gets to this and he says, but Lord, no, this is the way. So let your will be done. Surrender so powerful. And I think oftentimes in our lives, we, we live like this. Lord, I want to surrender, but let, 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 let me see first what I'm surrendering to. You know how it is, like if your mom, kitchen, uh, your mom is, is cooking and you step in the kitchen and you just, let me, let me get a little taste real quick. Get out of my kitchen. Boy, it ain't done. I know, but I just want to see. And so I feel like some of us, we live like that, like, Lord, let me see first and then I can determine. But that's not how the pr- provision is provided. First step is surrender. Because here's what surrender does. Surrender produces obedience And then it's obedience that leads to God's provision. It's not I'll obey when I can get a picture of what it's like. And if you're used to being hands-on, if you're a planner, you just got to know, this is really hard for you to live. But the Lord is saying it's surrender to me that will develop, that will produce obedience in you that will lead to provision for you. And so what the Lord is calling us to, family, is the life of surrender. But you know what? It's a choice that we have to make. Life is surrounded with choices. Deuteronomy 30, verse 19, the children of Israel. got to choose, choose life or death. Joshua 24, 15, choose this day who you will serve. Matthew 6, 24, you can't serve two masters, so you've got to make a choice. And, of course, the big one, Genesis 3, The decision of Adam and Eve life is nothing but choices and if you don't believe me head to Cheesecake Factory here and look at that menu look at the 750 options available head out of town choose Google Maps Apple Maps Ways. choices head to Publix paper or plastic graduate college where do I go Life is nothing but choices. In fact, there's a term that's been coined through research called overchoice, which is a cognitive process in which people have a difficult time making a decision when faced with many options. So options require a response, but here's the thing. We get to choose our response. So here's what I'm advocating for us to do today. Is to live and to choose his presence, to welcome the transformation, submitting to his process to see a transformative work done in our lives. And every single day deciding, Lord, I'm surrendering who I am, my desires, and everything to you. And here's the thing I'll leave you with, and then we'll pray. Do not miss the one thing, chasing after everything. I know all of what life requires. I know all of what you need. But don't miss the one thing, which is him, it's Jesus, chasing after everything. But instead, we have to put into action what we, pre- what we sung this morning. Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. But in all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Amen? Come on, let's